it's really important to find your people. When communities get together, things happen. I'm Tasha Gideon. I'm a holistic strategist. A big part of my job is interpreting and communicating big ideas and bold concepts. This means I think a lot about the many dimensions of meaning, literal, inferred, buried, archetypal, perspectives, audiences, creator bias. This podcast explores the meaning behind the different ways we send and receive messages in our everyday lives. Thanks for being here. We weren't always obsessive documentarians. It wasn't that long ago that it would have been odd to take a photo of your dinner while seated at a restaurant. And it wasn't too long ago that hardly anyone made note of that board of director photo website or speakers panel showing a very homogenous group of people. I've been pondering the distinct but overlapping trajectories of photography in our culture's evolution. Photos are quite literally representation. What do they mean to us individually, in our various communities, and in culture at large? I wanted to talk to somebody who could help me identify what I was picking up on, because there's something there. Happily, Shanae Seifert-Haynes exists. She's a powerful storyteller, an award-winning brand strategist, and creative entrepreneur. To give you a sense of her breadth of work, she worked on the innovative launch campaign for HBO's Lovecraft Country, and she's helped brands from Samsung, to Microsoft, to State Farm. She currently leads the global brand marketing for Pinterest. She also runs a consulting firm that designs and supports sustainable growth strategies for diverse creative entrepreneurs and female founders of color. Shanae is an expert in cultural connections and at guiding people toward fulfilling their aspirations while increasing their connection to what keeps them rooted. Underpinning all of that, Shanae has a degree in biology and psychology she studied interior architecture, and she's certified in positive psychology. In short, she's exactly who I wanted to talk to about what it means to live in a world where 1.4 trillion photos get taken in a single year. So where does your mind go when you hear that 1.4 trillion photos were taken in 2021? I get excited that so many stories have been told. Photography is just a great way to tell stories really quickly. Do you think that with all of these photographs floating around, I mean, we're typically all within arm's reach of a pretty decent camera at all times. What do you think has happened to our relationship with photography? Has it gotten better, worse, same? I think a bit better because the barrier of entry is so much lower. Like you don't have to get dressed up. You mm-hmm. don't have to buy film you don't have to lug around a large camera you have a, a pretty decent camera in your pocket yeah even though the quality of the camera has really rose how we use it is a bit more casual yeah you take pictures of your food you take pictures of the thing that you want to show your friend and that you think is funny the formality of it is gone yeah but it still has a lot of interest yeah, I think it's it's been quite decisively democratized. I know somebody who just had dental surgery and they just said, can you take your phone and stick it inside my mouth? I want to see like 
what it looks like in there after the dentist like put the cap on and I was like there's yeah. no other time in the world that that would have been possible Will you stick your phone in my mouth so I can see what the dentist did what surprised you the most in your role at Pinterest I think I was most surprised by how personal people use Pinterest and how personal I feel about Pinterest like I was a fan and am a fan before I joined and you know you could really craft and plan a life on Pinterest and that is not something that everybody needs to observe. Mm-hmm. So do you think that your Pinterest boards reflect who you are or do you think that they define who you are? I think it's a bit of both. I think discovery plays a big part of it. Yeah. Often I go to Pinterest for one thing and I discover something completely different. And I'm like, okay, maybe I want to try a new hairstyle. And then I'm like, am I a purple hair person? (laughs) There's a lot of adventure in Pinterest. What's your favorite thing that you've found on Pinterest? I love the discovery that is inherent in Pinterest. And the fact that you don't have to show up knowing what it needs to be. People think when you search for something, it has to be like, I'm specifically looking for this soup recipe. But the discovery behind all of it is you might find a soup recipe and a cocktail that you love and also some flannel pajamas. (laughs) I think, you know. It sounds like it's time for dinner and a a nap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just like it's super open. And the fact that not everybody comes with a destination in mind. Images have a huge role in creating community or influencing community. They can be how like-minded people find each other. I love to make chili. You love to make chili. Let's look at each other's Pinterest boards about chili or whatever it is. But it seems like you can identify other like-minded people just by looking at their images. What has that been like to, to witness that? Yeah. Again, as we were talking about imagery now or the way that we take photos now, there isn't a perfection behind it. Yeah. I love that so much of what I find on Pinterest isn't the perfect thing. Uh Like, I love finding people who've made mistakes, (laughs) you know, (laughs) thing that you tried to make and you didn't, you didn't really nail it. Yeah. But, you know, the process of making it, you want to share that with a community of people. So the fact that everything doesn't need to be perfect. What's the most niche or unexpected interest that you've personally found a community built around on Pinterest? The mashup costumes are my favorite. Like Dumbledore the Explorer. Oh, yes. Great. Like the way that people are mashing up things together. Um, And again, the fact that it doesn't need to be perfect. You know, the fact that it could be funny, the fact that it could be a work in progress. I'm guessing it's been a huge relief for people to have community and the sense of humor during the pandemic, especially during the really strict lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Or the fact that sometimes you just need to do something with your hands. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be, you know, the quality that you're going to, you're going to turn it into a side hustle and sell it. Maybe you're just making it for yourself. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Not everything needs to be monetized. Dumbledore the Explorer is maybe one of my favorite things I've ever heard of. Uh, and it's going to be great. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like all you have to do is have the concept and then you can pretty much just like put a pillow on your head and call it that and it'll be hilarious. (laughs) So there's that Audre Lorde quote that I'm thinking of. Uh, It's, without community, there is no liberation. How does that resonate for you? I love Audre Lorde. She's my favorite. It's really important to find your people. 
Yeah. And however those people show up, I think the internet allows us to connect with people that we might not have been able to connect with because of proximity. Right. So this is like when communities get together for better or for worse, things happen. Of course, if you're limiting yourself to a geographic area, you'll find some of your people. But with the advent of social media and the internet, you can find more of your people and your group can actually be bigger. And I think that with COVID, it's sort of normalized being close with people that you've never actually physically been in the same room with. Like, there are definitely people in some online groups that I'm a part of that I feel like are really good friends. And I could not tell you how tall they are. Like, (laughs) I have no idea what they, you know? It makes you question what makes a friend? Like, what makes a connection deep? Does it need to be physically being in the place together? And I think a lot of us have rethought that because of the global pandemic that we're in. How do we maintain connection if you cannot physically be in front of someone? Right. Imagery, photographs have played a big role in modern social justice movements. I was looking at some photographs from the 50s when Little Rock Central High School was being desegregated. And the white people behind 15-year-old Hazel Bryan, just the faces were just furious and ugly, and you can feel them hurling insults at her. That photograph came to explain and describe something that I don't think words could have captured in the same way. And now we see the impact of bystander videographers in the George Floyd murder. So there's this huge intersection between community and imagery and representation and social justice. And it seems like your work touches on all of those. How do you think about the relationship between those? In the Venn diagram of all those things, it's in the center, it's evidence. So it's evidence that things have taken place. It's evidence that there are people out there like you who are experiencing the same things that you are experiencing. It's evidence of a legacy of people who at the time, stood up for things that weren't popular in a popular majority. Mm -hmm. Capturing a moment, capturing a story, you're really capturing evidence of a life, whether it be an impact on something or a connection or a spark to create something else. The beauty of images is evidence that we've existed. You take on a lot of different types of work, but they all do seem to have this theme of that intersection of community imagery representation. Three years ago at my agency, we were looking for some reason for stock photography. And we were just shocked by the images that pulled up from some very mainstream stock photography sites. The way it started is we were looking for like Latinx businesswoman. And every image that pulled up was maids and domestic workers. What's interesting about photography is that It captures something, but also there's like an editorial choice about what you're showing or how you're organizing that information. Thinking about stock photography, how do those choices get made? What does it mean about us as a culture that that's what pulls up for that search? You know, I feel like it's so revealing. It's the storytellers behind the camera. And for a long time, you know, what got sold was from a very, very narrow narrative. Uh-huh. And lens. It was from a very narrow lens. Like and literally. Now fact, yeah. Now the fact that, you know, anybody can pick up a camera and take 
photos and also potentially make a living off of those photos. Like I love seeing young black and brown photographers understanding that their art not only makes a statement, but it can also make them a living. Yeah. The idea and the knowledge that you can give to someone to understand how much power their images have, not only to build community, but for themselves. And that's in a lot of the work that I do, not just through Pinterest, but as a mentor and a business coach for black and brown founders is getting them to understand the importance of their voice, Mm -hmm. how their voice can not only make change for, you know, the world at large, but can make change for their personal agency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that work that you do. There's a lot of times when people are doing small business or entrepreneurship mentorship or coaching. And it's sort of from this idea that what you personally are bringing to it isn't as important as the product or the thing that you're trying to get off the ground. But it seems like your approach is really works hard to integrate that founder, that entrepreneur, that professional to sort of forge them together with their work and their identity. And that's a really different choice than what a lot of people are doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's from my personal experience of having the most agency and autonomy when I'm working for myself. And I believe that it's very much because I'm a black female. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there are times when I just need to empower myself. And that is deeply rooted in the work that I do with founders, black and brown, mostly creative is how are you empowering yourself? How are you, you using a business to empower yourself, your unique point of view and the communities that you want to serve? I firmly believe that you cannot be what you can't see. Yeah. And I imagine if little Shanae met the Shanae that I am now, life would have been a lot different. Yeah. And not because I told her anything, but because of the way that I show up. Yeah. That trend of tracking all male panels, the mantles or the all white panels, the wannels, you'll see an image of a seven person speakers panel on a dais discussing some universally important issue like public transit on the West Coast. And they're all middle-aged white men. If you weren't familiar with mantles or why they need to be called out, that image would bring you up to speed in a matter of seconds. It's interesting. That has led me to my own activism in the sense where I am often in groups with people who are all about innovation and the future of work. Yeah. And we'll call them out if their future of work doesn't include black women. Yeah. There's this sort of um, checkbox uh, mm-hmm. approach where, you know, as long as it's not a white man, then it sort of counts. But now more than ever, and I think imagery is really helping with that, unless you're being more rigorous and thoughtful about how you're approaching representation, diversity, and inclusion, organizations that decide that they're not going to run like hell to catch up and do better, they're going to seem so outmoded very, very quickly. And they, in fact, they, all, they already do. And I really credit imagery and photography a lot because people can be hi- hide behind names, you know, like on a plaque. They can, you know, there's all kinds of ways to sort of mask that. But with everything being online and photographs, you can really actually see like, oh, that person is actually in a wheelchair. Oh, that person is actually black. Like, oh, (laughs) you know, there's all these ways that you can fact check almost. Yeah, absolutely. And there are no excuses anymore. Yeah. Because you can't say I can't find this identity to represent 
when so many of those identities that have been marginalized, yeah. that have been underrepresented, are really starting to show up for themselves. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I need your list. Here are the list of all the people, you know, who represent the identity that I represent and represent me so that when someone says, oh, I can't find someone <laughs> who is differently abled or I can't find someone who is, you know, plus size, yeah. you can say, here's a link of yeah. all this, this list of people that, you know, my community has created. So there's no excuse anymore. Is there some way you would like to see photographs or imagery explored or deployed? What would you like to see get more popular or bigger? So I'm really interested in what NFT and Bitcoin and the blockchain can do for ownership around our imagery. Oh, yeah. In the beginning, you took photos. I don't know if anyone else will share the story, but my mom has shoeboxes of photos that she took when she was younger, yep. when we were younger. And like that is who saw your images. You, you brought people to your images. If they came to visit, you opened the shoebox and they looked through your images. The clicking through was like literally picking up, yeah. you know, experiencing the tangible things of those images. And those were things that you owned. Like people displayed them like art. Yeah. My mom has amazing, ornate, old picture frames of things that she puts up. And now when you think of like, what's a picture frame? It is a one-by-one one box on a platform. Yeah. Get back to owning those images, whether it be gating who can see them and who has access to those things, or in places where we're seeing that brands leveraging images that they don't personally own. Yeah. Potentially profiting off of those like intellectual property, but it's more like who gets to take up room, who gets to be the default setting for human. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned the default setting. Even when we buy a picture frame, <laughs> what's the default picture in the picture frame? Right. Or search wedding hairstyles. What's the default that that shows up for you? Yeah. It's interesting, and I, I don't know enough about how the algorithms of all those things work, but I wonder how much of it is a self-perpetuating thing and how much of it is engineered. An interesting question for somebody who wants a doctorate in information technology and uh, bias. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that would be the category. Oh, it's, it's once again the idea of who are the storytellers who have been allowed to be the storytellers and you can tell story with code as well yeah so who's been allowed to be the storytellers and because the world has had such a narrow view on things we've perpetuated things deep-seated in us in our subconscious mm -hmm. and to not know what we're perpetuating because we we had no example of like how else it could be it's a really interesting time. It's an interesting time to watch the trajectory of the technology and the trajectory of social justice movements. I think in large part just because literally photography is representation. I'm always encouraging people to take more photos. You yeah. know, tell your story. Like it doesn't have to be a complex story. It doesn't have to be staged or you can get really fancy and stage it. I think the democratization of the things that you can create is pretty open. Mm -hmm. Photography is just a way to have evidence, mm -hmm. represent what you are going through. And I think we build community because so many people have been connecting over imagery. 
yeah. things that they share, nuanced things. The beauty of not only photography, but art in general is different people come to it from different places and they have different interpretations of it. It's almost like one of those image search puzzles where you and I might look at the same image and come up with something completely different. We, we might point out something completely different because of how we connect with it. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, how many photos do you think you take a day? My husband and I, we talk a lot and he is a very visual person too. He's actually a cinematographer. Mm. So now I share a lot of photos, not only of like each other's work, but like as part of conversation. Uh-huh. A lot of times it's so much easier for me to snap a photo of something and send it to him, get his immediate reaction to it. Or like sometimes there isn't word or we'll see something funny and we'll send photos to each other. And it's a quick way for us to communicate and connect. Or it could be something as elaborate as like he's working on a film and he sends me a photo uh, without context just to get my initial reaction to it. Uh Uh-huh. Those little photos back and forth, they're like shorthand in-jokes. Those are some of my favorite kinds of photos. That's very sweet, I think. Or if we like are both leaving the apartment and like we take the photo the photo of the same thing and I'm like, I was just about to send you. <laughs> they thing. cross paths and so they do a high five in, the, in midair and then they go to the yeah. recipient. That's a fun, that's a fun thing. It's such a natural language for us. Like I didn't even think about like, it's just such a natural language for us. I think because we both work in the visual space, it's just like that sometimes we will literally send each other photos without contacts. And it's like, okay, how are you going to react to this? (laughs) Yeah, it's good to send a photo and then immediately get the ha-ha reaction. Like, nailed it. That was hilarious. Um, Shanae, it's been so great to talk to you. Yeah, you were able to weave a lot of things in that I don't think most people get about me. Thanks, Shanae. I appreciate that. It's been wonderful to talk to you. I loved our conversation and I will catch up with you soon. Thanks for joining me. And thanks so much to Shanae for her insight and for taking the time. You can find all of her links in our show notes. And we're including something that I love that she created. It's a simple four square worksheet that combats overthinking. How great is that? And I'm thrilled to let you know that listenership from our last episode moved us into the top 50% of all podcasts. That's a pretty big accomplishment for a show with only five episodes. Thanks so much for listening, rating, reviewing, and sharing. It means a lot to me. And that wraps up our season one. We've got lots in store for season two, starting in January. Take care and farewell. What's the meaning of this? Is a production of Vera LLC and Tasha Gideon Multimedia. Theme music by Alexis Gideon. Sound design, engineering, and editing by Vera Studios. Our production assistant is Lauren Luce. Our intern is Oscar Quick. Listen, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts.